Well, hello and welcome to Finding Our Way, our Southridge Church member podcast designed to give people the inside scoop on life in our church. Here's our host and lead pastor, Jeff Lockyer. Welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way. We've got a really fun conversation today with someone who has had, I'm going to say, pretty significant influence, not just in my life, but in the life of our church and in many other leaders and churches that we talk with and, and consult with, uh, a friend named Aaron Nequist. Aaron, welcome here. Thanks for having me. Um, for those who have never met you or are uh, just kind of getting to know you for the first time, let's start first things first by walking us through just a bit of your own personal background. Talk about yourself, where you come from, family sure. life, that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, I grew up in the Chicago area, so I am a, a hopeless Cubs fan. Um, and I grew up in a Christian family and church was very central, kind of music and church and, and maybe the Cubs. Uh, we're pretty central to our family growing up, and I got involved with the church, and then uh, that's where I kind of learned how to lead worship, which became uh, my kind of ministry, profession, vocation, and um, yeah, is that a good good place to start? That's a great start. Uh, great. These days, you don't live in Chicago. Correct. Uh, and you're not growing up with your parents. You got your own family and you're a parent. So talk about all that. Yeah. Um, we've been a part of a couple different churches throughout the years. Uh, we moved to Grand Rapids to be a part of Mars Hill church. Um, the, the, not the, not, not the one that everyone's talking about right now. Not the, not other the one. one on the Christianity Today podcast, <laughs> no, disclaimer. The other Mars Hill. The yeah. other Mars Hill, yeah. And then we moved back to Chicago to uh, for me to be a worship leader at Willow Creek for those years and, and, and uh, a couple other things that I think we're going to talk about later in the podcast. And then about almost three years ago, uh, my family and I moved to Manhattan, and we're here in Chelsea and... Uh, I enrolled in General Theological Seminary to get my master's, MA in ministry. So I just finished that, graduated, but we are loving living here so much. We're trying to find any way to stay. So, For those listening in, I uh, visited with Aaron a couple weeks ago, moving my son into college. So I have a kid living in Manhattan as well. And... Uh, Aaron was like one of the only people I knew in the whole city. So <laughs> I texted and said, Hey, you know, let's grab a coffee and got a chance to connect. That was, yeah, that was really great. cool. Even to see the seminary and the, you know, just the, not even a little community, but the kind of the oasis. Yeah. Uh, and, and just the picturesque little campus where you live. It was yeah. really, really cool. They joke and call it Hogwarts. I mean, it's yes, just this yeah. old, you know, it's just beautiful. So, well, that's great. I, yeah. I, I, I got to say, I don't need to hear you uh, express any lament about the Cubs because <laughs> I now cheer for a team in the Toronto Maple Leafs that have now, after the Cubs won, uh, yeah. now uh, kind of claimed the, the, the longer drought <laughs> streak for over 50 years. So oh, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm feeling pain that you used to know, and I right. live with hope that you have now experienced. So I'm nice. like looking up to you and, and in that direction. It may come. Hey, uh, for years, you know, you mentioned serving yeah. as a worship leader in these two churches. And these these aren't just churches. These were massive, uh, like uh, nationally, if not globally recognized mega churches. 
Um, and, you know, for a number of years, things were kind of rolling along in your yeah. life and faith and ministry. But in that era, th- things started to shift in your yeah. head and heart. Can you talk about yeah. that at all? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, this, you know, <laughs> to reduce a really messy multi-year up and down story, um, you know, I my the faith that I grew up with when I was around 23, 24, just imploded. And that was, I mean, when, when your job is to lead songs, you no longer believe that is quite <laughs> complicated. Um, but what happened is through, um, Dallas Willard's book, the divine conspiracy and a numbers of others, I, I, I discovered, I learned about the kingdom for the first time, you know, even though that's what Jesus primarily taught about, I just, I hadn't heard much about it, even growing up in the church. And so I, I, I found my heart expanding to this idea that it's not just about going to heaven someday. It's about participating in what God is doing right now to redeem and restore all things. And so that just became everything to me. That, that re-anchored me in the story, that breathed new life back into something that had been dying. But then what I realized as a worship leader um, my songs weren't really about that. They were about, uh, maybe a previous understanding of what the whole story was. And so I'm like, man, you know, when I lead four pop songs in a hymn, like that doesn't capture the width and the depth of this grand epic story that God is creating. What did, what did those songs say what did they invite people into or maybe more specifically like what was your spiritual framework that i guess first you grew up in and then probably yeah. contemporized sure. as a more modern worship leader uh, at one of these larger churches question i think it was just primarily god has saved me thank you i love you can't wait for heaven mm-hmm. um that kind of thing and let me be really clear Every single one of those are appropriate parts of the Christian life and of worship. We still sing songs. Thank you, God, for grace. I mean, that is so important. The problem was, for me, I was just realizing it wasn't the whole story. It was one sliver of the story, a very important sliver, but not the whole story. And so it wasn't a rejection it was just realizing that, you know, I'd, I'd been painting with one single color. <laughs> and so mm. I want to keep using that color, of course. But what about orange? And what about green? You know, mm. so um, th- the way that that worked is I started just learning from other Christian traditions. You know, I had four rock songs and a hymn, and that's really good. We still do that. Um, but I, I started looking like over, over the fence and, and realizing, man, many, many Christian traditions every week do a confession of sin and then receive words of assurance. What's that about? Why do they do it? And why do we not? And it just, just started, you know, talking with friends and learning and okay, this tradition in their liturgy always has an extended time of praying for specific parts of the world. I was like, man, we almost never do that. And so I just kept looking and kept looking and realizing there's these readings and 
um, extended scripture readings and all these different parts of the different liturgies. And so at Mars Hill, this is probably, this is, I was there 2003 to 2007 or eight. We started trying to bring in these other ways of worship. And one, one week, my, my wife, Shauna, was just saying, you know, Aaron, why are we doing all these other things rather than just, all right, stand and sing? And I was trying to explain it, but I was stumbling and, you know, inarticulate. And finally, Shauna says, oh, so basically, you want to serve a well-balanced meal every Sunday. Hmm. And that for me, I mean, leave it to my wife. I rambled for 10 minutes, couldn't get there. And yeah. she said it in one perfect sentence. Yeah. And so I think that that sums up so much of this journey, not a rejection of the one meal I had been serving every Sunday for 15 years, not a rejection at all. We still include those foods, but there were, were a whole, there were a number of other entire food groups we hadn't even considered. Hmm. And so we're trying to uh, serve a well-balanced meal every Sunday. And what I really appreciate that, that I hope our, our, our listeners are tracking with is, you know, you're processing this at two levels, the, the, yeah. f- the Jesus follower level, and then the spiritual leader level. It's so true. And yeah. in both cases, what I, what I so appreciate that I hope is a, a leadership lesson we can take out of this even right now is that your journey of deconstruction was actually a journey of renovation. Mm. And you were always asking kind of, so what do I need to do? Yeah. Not just no, what do good. I, what, what am I rejecting? What do I reject? Or right. what am I struggling with? Because I think yeah. so many times when we have this spiritual dissonance, either as followers or leaders, we, we have this feeling inside of us of we know what we don't want. But you yeah. took the step to start doing the research and explore, in this case, from a, a worship perspective or from a liturgy, yeah. like other examples of what people proactively did do. Mm. And just kudos to you, man, because oh, so many times yeah. it, it, it ends up those, those, those seasons of dissonance end up just in struggle or rejection, not in rebuilding That's right. anything yep. superior. Yep. And anybody can burn something down. That's not hard. And that's not even that interesting. But to be able to find, to, to note what parts really do need to be not, what walls really do need to be knocked down so that we can build something new. So fast forward now, because I remember yeah. there was a time at Willow where, you know, your role was probably delivering a very similar four rock songs and maybe yeah. a hymn, contemporized yeah. hymn. Yeah. But you and some friends and some leaders there started to actually experiment with an experience yeah. that would provide more of this comprehensive meal. And I remember you called it the practice. Yeah. Uh, it took place in the chapel, not in the main, yep. you know, massive yep. auditorium, whatever. But yep. uh, I never went to one. I, I wanted to a few times when I was there, but. Talk to us about the practice. What was it about? What worked? What'd you learn? Yeah. All that. Thank you. Well, let me just tell you the shift that happened that led to the practice. Even better. And so, and this is, uh, I'm, I think I'm especially speaking to church leaders and people who make decisions about what we're doing. Um, I realized I was trying to bring all these different forms of worship into the Willow weekend service. So like, you know, one Sunday we did Lectio Divina, which is a, a, a contemplative practice, you know, in a 
huge auditorium. Not a very smart idea. But I, I was trying to bring all these different ideas, and some worked, some didn't. But what I realized is, wait a second. The question I'm being asked to answer as the worship leader is, how do we get the room fired up for God in the first 20 minutes of the service? And it took me a lot of wrestling to get down to, I think that is the question I'm being asked to answer. And what I finally realized is, Lectio Divina will never answer that question. No, that's, that doesn't contribute <laughs> that. You're right. But you know what else won't? Praying for the world or confessing our sins or lament or extended scripture reading or all these other really important formative practices. They just don't a- answer that question. And so I don't think that's an evil question or a wrong question. It was just a, a really specific question. <laughs> and so maybe the question for all of us, especially those who, who where the buck stops, who, who get to ask the question, um, are we really clear on what that framing question is? Yeah, how you're framing the service. Yeah, because the container, I mean, w- the container matters so much more than the content we try to pour into it. And so all that to say, the Willow leadership finally said, Aaron, we're never going to do this, but would you want to explore creating a different container? And so that, I mean, that is of all the things, you know, Willow is a very complicated place, lots of good, lots of terrible. That was a beautiful moment that I will always be grateful for. Um, They just said, go for it. Um, and so Sunday nights, we started meeting, um, on Sunday nights in the round, we put the communion table in the center of the room. We didn't have a stage. And we just said every Sunday, I would say we are a community who doesn't just want to believe things about Jesus, but is learning how to rearrange our lives in order to put his words into practice for our lives and for the sake of the world. And so every Sunday, we would open with a a little bit of a a liturgy that was pulling from different traditions, and then there'd be a a 10 to 12-minute teaching that led us into a 15 to 20-minute practice. We'd do something, whether it was centering prayer or breath prayer or Lectio Divina or the examine or praying for the world, or we'd do some sort of concrete practice, and then we'd receive communion together and be sent out into the world. And um, I mean, just speaking for myself, it changed my life. It was one of the most meaningful things I've ever got to be a part of. And uh, yeah, really grateful for that season. And when you talk about the the framing, I want to yeah. talk about the other end because you're getting there, like the impact. What would have been yeah. generally the impact of an hour on Sunday yeah. in that more traditional, like, well, not traditional at this point, but, but that more attractional, you know, fire yeah. em up version yeah. Versus the impact of an hour gathering at the practice. Well, I'll tell you a, a really poignant moment of that. Um, when I was still doing the weekend services at Willow, we did a really exciting creative thing. It was a song. We had a string quartet. It was linked to a video that our friend Blaine had created. And it even had like a, a live dance element. So it was just this thing. The lighting was perfect. It was really compelling. But I remember driving home 
thinking, boy, I loved what we made, but is it possible that one of the things we're teaching our congregation is you can't do this without us? Like, unless you have an $80 million auditorium, you can't. So basically what we're saying is, I hope that served you. Come back in seven days so we can do it again. That's amazing. The, 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 the language that, that we've sort of captured in the last number of years comes from a, a Canadian media guy named Marshall McLuhan. Yes. And he says, the medium, the medium is the message. It is indeed. The medium is the message. Yes. And, and so you're driving off the parking lot with this amazing experience. Yes. But more than the content that we taught, yes. the packaging of how we taught that content actually created a spiritual dependence that it's, only let people connect with God during this hour. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had, we had, you know, and again, I'm not anti-technology. I'm not even anti-big space, but we had a lot of conversations about what does it mean that our, that those of us leading worship and those of us preaching, our faces were on a jumbotron. Like just what is that teaching the community? (laughs) Can you imagine a, a, a preacher preaching about the priesthood of all believers while his or her face was on a jumbotron. Yeah. Like that's the cognitive dissonance of that is pretty profound. And so when you ask about the practice, of course, I, you know, it's easy to idealize anything and tell the stories. But what I know happened was people walked out of the room with a new practice in their hand that they can do on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. We used to say, uh, this is another mantra at the end of every single practice. I would just say, friends, Sunday is not the main event. Your actual life is the main event. Mm -hmm. So tonight, when we learned dot, 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 I would always just say, you can do this. You can do this Tuesday at lunch. You can do this Wednesday night. You can do this. So Mm -hmm. at its best, it was reminding every single daughter and son of the creator that they can participate in what God is doing. I hope we can help, but ultimately they don't need us. They can it's do interesting because yeah. we, we, at this point, I mean, fast forwarding to our context, one of the influences that's come from among, among other places, you know, your voice has been a spiritual practice component in every one yeah. of our weekend services. Sure. And, and to do that, it actually required, as you're describing, a reframing of what this gathering is for. Oh, that's good. Formerly, yeah. the that's gathering good. would have been some combination of to inspire and or to instruct. Yeah. But the medium that was the message created a dependence on yeah, the gathering. That's right. For us, what we what we shifted was framing the gathering around it's actually to in spirit. Not to inspire or instruct primarily, but primarily to inspirit, meaning to help people live a practice-based faith, to help people live an inspirited life with God for the other 167 hours outside of this gathering. Spectacular. And so it's amazing how God is kind of weaving these common values 
yeah. in these different experiences, really all over the world. And that's, I think, some of where he's, he's connected our hearts. Now, yeah. where, where I felt like we really connected, and you might not have even realized this, but I was interviewing you at Willow for a podcast. That's right. And yes. you threw out this phrase describing these gatherings. You threw out this phrase, yeah. a spiritual gymnasium. Yeah. And right when you said it, knowing all of the dissonance that me and, and some of our leaders at Southridge were having, that captured so much of yeah. what I'd been wrestling with and what I sensed God wanted for us yep. that, I mean, we pull the string on the back, you know, on our backs all the time. And out comes that phrase, spiritual, yeah, music, yeah, yeah, spiritual yeah. Yep. talk about where that came from and what that intended to mean for you. Yeah. Well, we, in those days, we were talking a lot about like, what is church? Like church, we, we would talk about church as a performance hall um, or church as a classroom. And um, these these days, you know, I'm at, at an Episcopalian seminary. I'm not Episcopal, but I'm at a, a seminary. So I, I get to participate in some real high church worship experiences um, church as uh, a sanctuary, or there's all these different ways to think about it. But my friend Mark Scandrett, he wrote a book called Practicing the Way of Jesus. And he was trying to take Dallas Willard's teachings into the mission district of San Francisco. And Mark is just a super compelling guy, but he started talking about this um, what if we just ran experiments? What if we stopped trying to convince people to believe three things, but we just said, you know, we do believe we want to be, we want to be people who forgive. So let's do an experiment of forgiveness. And he would run all these really time bound experiments. So compelling. And that's when we just started saying, what if it's more like a gymnasium? What if it's more a place where we come to learn? I, I share this in my book. I, I got to share, you know, kind of collect all this into a book a few years ago called The Eternal Current. And I started one chapter on Church as Gymnasium with just the almost silly story. Imagine you wanted to run a marathon and you were a little out of shape, but you said, I have six months. So you go to the local gymnasium. And they say, oh, this is wonderful. Why don't you come back to the back room? We have an auditorium set up. A band is going to play some songs about running. And then we're going to have a running expert give a lecture about marathons. You'd be like, well, that's, it, that was inspiring. I'm glad I heard those songs. And I'm glad to hear that lecture. But then what if they say, all right, come back next week. We'll do it again. And then next week. At a certain point, your head would be full of all this running knowledge and your heart would be full of all this excitement about running and your legs would be no closer to being able to run a marathon. So instead, of course, what would a good uh, fitness center do? They'd bring you down and they'd, uh, they, there would be some inspiration. There would be some teaching, but they'd also teach you these exercise machines. They teach you the right stretches. They'd get you running. They'd they get you in your body, in your, in yourself. So that's what we are trying to do. Church as gymnasium. And I got to say, like, as, as ridiculous as that illustration is, I yeah. hope those of us listening, especially leaders in, in, in churches who are listening, I hope there's some conviction that, that God <laughs> yeah. stirs in our heart, because that's sure. really when you approach the gathering, I know we know yeah. that church is more than just the gathering. The gathering is significant. And when you approach the gathering as either concert or classroom or some yeah. combination of both that's right. really in the most ridiculous example that's really what you're doing you're taking yeah. 
people aspiring to greater degrees of health and fitness and yeah. pumping them up and instructing them, pumping That's them right. up and instructing them That's as right. opposed to equipping them. And there's a yeah, huge, there's huge. just a huge difference. So, yep. you know, we're, we're, we're getting too into this and we're running out of time. <laughs> Aaron, a few minutes then yeah. on these days, real time, 2021, yeah. how are you approaching gatherings and planning lately? I know that you've actually re-embraced a, a term called liturgy and yeah. that might freak out some more yeah. contemporists among us, but sure. uh, how do you approach gatherings these days? Yeah. Well, let me just say a, a quick word about liturgy. Um, I, I, I simply mean, I mean, it, you know, one translation is the work of the people. Um, liturgy is simply just what we do when we gather. Um, our liturgy at Willow in those days was loud song, earnest song, perform song, announcements, offering, sermon, closing song. That was our liturgy. Mm -hmm. um, the question is not, are you a liturgical church? We are all liturgical churches. The question is, how does your particular liturgy form your people? Yeah, just because you have a cue sheet now or use planning right. center, right. doesn't right, right, that's right. just auditing your liturgy. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And so, I, I mean, so in some senses, I don't use that in some contexts, I don't use that word because it, it does trigger some things. And that's not the point. The point is just to ask the question, what are we doing? Why? And how is it forming people? So all that to say, I am, I am uh, involved with a couple different communities. Um, one is our, uh, our church community here in Chelsea is a good shepherd, which is, um, a, an independent church. That's trying to bring some of these traditions together. I get to serve there. Um, I just started a nine month residency of worship formation at, uh, St. Peter's, uh, Episcopal church in Chelsea. So I, I'm kind of like straddling these worlds on one hand, I'm trying to bring, um, more of a traditional format to the energy of, of a more modern church. And I think that's really beautiful. And then the other context, I'm trying to bring this kind of hospitality and energy into this, you know, uh, historic tradition, which is really exciting too. But I, I think the, the long and the short of it is, and I haven't told many people this, so, but, um, the three streams that I am most excited about right now are where evangelical hospitality flows into Anglican sacramental imagination that is held together by Jesuit spiritual practice. So that's kind of a mouthful. We could probably talk for an hour. That's the a basic whole second idea. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but that's great. I just wanted to get your kind of real time, like yeah. what, what's God stirring in you today? And, and maybe on top of that, Aaron, I mean, yeah. everybody who's listening all around the world has been navigating the pandemic. It's had implications, yeah. Yeah. not just on the church in general, but specifically about gatherings, about large groups, yeah. oh, or large yeah. group assemblies of people. Um, you know, both considering the pandemic and just considering the state of the church, yeah. like where do you see gatherings headed? What is the future of gatherings? Yeah, I mean, my guess is living rooms. But with a way to connect these living rooms together 
in a wider whole that sees that we are part of something bigger. I am not a blow up every church, let's just, you know, deconstruct it all person. But I do think what people long for happens best in a living room or across a table. So I think there's going to be some really interesting interplay with the whole community gathering, which again, I've given my life to these whole community gatherings. I think they really matter. But um, hopefully as a way to propel us um, into a smaller circle where some of that deeper work can really happen. So I think there's going to be some interplay, but it's going to be centered in a living room. Hmm. Um, for those of us both at Southridge and beyond that are listening in here, Aaron, uh, any final encouragements or challenges when it comes to, I would say, either embracing more practice-based gatherings or to your earlier part of your story or embracing the underlying theological picture of the kingdom yeah. versus the yeah. saved for heaven and I'm fine yeah, that's right. version that you grew up in. Yeah. Well, I'll answer that second question first and then talk about the, the practicality. The, the theological, I am becoming more and more convinced it all centers and needs to center on the Sermon on the Mount and most specifically in the Beatitudes. Hmm. Um, I think I had a trip to the Middle East that really messed with me for a lot of reasons, won't go into that, but I came home and I committed for the next three months to only read the Beatitudes. And then when that was over, I expanded it to only reading, just immersing myself in the Sermon on the Mount. And I think, of course, every part of the Bible is matters, but I think we need to be doing more interpreting every other part of the Bible through the Beatitudes and through Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount. So centered there. The the thing that I would say about the practice-based service is start trying things. Um, start experimenting. You know, I, I, I had a, one of my friends, uh, Glenn Packiam, uh, was at a, a very, he's, at, he's still at a very modern uh, evangelical megachurch and he knew they couldn't do like, you know, litur- liturgical things. So he said, every Sunday, we're going to read Psalm 50. And it's the words of scripture. And they began with scripture. And then that moved to some other things. So just begin, try, experiment, give people a minute of space to say whatever it is they want to say to God. Um, but just do some things. And then together as a team, listen. What did we, what did we notice? What did we learn? What was God saying? So yeah, that's fantastic. Aaron, you have been a huge encouragement to our local Mm. church, whether you know it or not. Thank you. And have had very transformative impact. And, uh, even through your influence of, uh, my recent book, uh, I hope are a voice now that has been shared with church leaders all across our country and even around the world. So thank you so much uh, for being oh, part of our village. An and uh, yeah. it's been really cool the way that God has uh, kind of connected our paths over the years. And now even Agreed. through Manhattan, I'll yep. be texting you every time I come to visit. I just going to say, let me know when you're back. I'll, I'll get yeah. caught up on all the, all the latest <laughs> thinking on gatherings that are coming from your world. But Love thanks it. so much for joining us today. All right. Blessings to you.
Uh, and thanks to all of you who are listening in. Uh, really uh, appreciate you tracking with us. And we look forward to seeing you in seven days as we continue finding our way together. Take care, everybody. Thank you.